Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the hot topic, information blocking and the legislation around it. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 15 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Colin, do you information block? <laughs> yes, but not not as it related to healthcare records. <laughs> not not illegally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I may I may information block how many of those maple sugar cookies I've eaten. And, oh, uh, is that what it is? <laughs> so you haven't been able to bring them to the U.S. to share with your your U.S. counterparts. You're eating them all yourself. That's pretty much that's pretty much what happened. Like I I, I had bought some because I was anticipating hymns uh-huh. right uh, back in March of last year. Yeah, so we I had bought a few boxes to, to bring with me quite a few boxes to bring with me <laughs> and then they get hit and i couldn't use them I, was, I have all these boxes sitting here oh shucks you had to eat them i had oh. to eat them right so uh, yes yeah, well that's the stuff you don't share on social media right Is that, that's right <laughs> that's, that's right. so i am actively info blocking that information <laughs> <laughs> i think it just makes us all jealous <laughs> no but it's a, i mean so i'm gonna ask you john because you know, as a Canadian, we don't have that rule yet. I'm sure we'll get one soon. But like, maybe for the benefit of our listeners, I mean, you could just quickly describe what infill blocking and what that term really means. What? I mean, it's interesting you bring up the international perspective. Do Canadians care about information blocking? Or, you know, like here, there's reasons why we do. And I think there were many reasons why healthcare organizations didn't want to share info is because there's competitive pressures, right? And so you don't have that same experience, I think. And in, in, it's probably different dynamics in Canada, right? Because it's government run. But here, you know, we're almost saying, hey, share your, your customer list with the neighbor across the street. And that's a, a scary thing for a lot of organizations. Now, I think it's overplayed. So anyways, long story short, the 21st Century Cures Act, which I always confuse with the CARES Act, which came out as part of COVID. But the 21st Century Cures Act uh, essentially has a number of information blocking and health data sharing rules that are included in it. Now it's 1,244 pages, so we're not going to really cover all the details in a in a in a 30 minute episode. But uh, you know, at a high level, it's essentially saying you need to give access to the data to patients. So if a patient wants access to that data, you have to give them access to that data. And in many cases, it needs to be electronic access to the data because we've always had the HIPAA regulations of release of information, they could get access to the data. So you know, these new rules say you are not allowed to block a patient from accessing that data. So that's the one part. The second part is actually third party app access to the health information using some sort of API. And there's a whole series of things about, you know, how, what should be available in the API. Can you charge for that data in the regulations? Is it allowed to charge? At what level can you charge? Uh, so, you know, that's API access to the data. And there are a few exceptions that are allowed even for the patient access to the data. 
you know, where it's at the health and safety of the patient, you shouldn't share. Uh, anyway, there's, I think there's, I forget, seven, nine exceptions. There's a whole bunch of exceptions, but they're all pretty reasonable exceptions. And for the most part, it's saying if the patient wants the data, you need to have it. Now, there were a few other minor things or some efforts to try to address the gag clauses that some organizations have put in. And then there's also a number of things on the health plan side, which certainly I'm not as familiar with since we focus so much on the provider side of things. But yeah, health plans have to share a bunch of the patient data. They also need to provide a directory uh, uh, through some sort of API. Uh, and so that's the core elements of information blocking. Yeah, and I'd, I'd read also the AMA website, the American Medical Association, that part of the background of why the info blocking uh, came about in the act uh, was also to help clinicians who were essentially being companies holding that data in the EHR hostage. Yeah. And I don't mean hostage in a sort of super negative point, but, but in, in the inability of some systems to actually get the data out in a clean manner, like you have to be able to allow clinicians to access their own data uh, when, they just, when they want to, when they need to, and you can't prevent, you can't prevent them by putting up these high barriers. Right. It was almost like a lock-in of employment for that provider, that doctor, because if, if they can't take their data with them, can they take their patients with them? And, you know, and certainly that's harmful to patients is how they see it. And so that they shouldn't allow that because the patient should be first. And, you know, that doctor, if they decide to leave, should have access to that data to provide the best care to that patient. Now, some people have said that you know, do we even need this? Like, did we even need these rules around info blocking and couldn't healthcare get its own act together? Like, why did it take sort of a, a, a you know, a piece of legislation from the government in order to kind of push this forward? And of course, there was a lot of controversy at the beginning where some, uh, some leaders in the healthcare community were just kind of like, no, like this is actually going to be, have the reverse impact. It's actually going to harm and, and, and stop uh, information sharing because, because of, of all these uh, new guidelines. What, what, can you maybe talk to us, talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, I think there's a number of elements here. Um, and, and certainly bad legislation could have a harmful impact, right? So, you know, I, I think we never want to discount that, right? That if we prescribe what information blocking is and isn't and how the data sharing should happen, then people will usually teach to the test, right? <laughs> you know, where like they just go to that level and they don't do anything more. So in some ways it could repress interoperability if it's, if it's done the wrong way. I don't think that's what's going to happen with this. I think this is going to open up a number of healthcare organizations to be able to share uh, in ways that they didn't before. And it's going to kind of force their hand to be able to do some of that. Um, you know, some of it is a little concerning. I know uh, CT Lin from UC Health in Denver, he said that, hey, the regulation requires you to share all the data with the patient immediately. And they had a very sophisticated open notes effort and lab results effort where they were very specific and, and shared it as quickly as possible, right? But sometimes when you have a cancer diagnosis, do you want to share that immediately? Or do you want to have someone there that can help walk them through? What does this really mean, a positive result? And how does, you know, what are the next steps and to, you know, to kind of walk the patient through it? So 
in that way, it's somewhat controversial to do those results immediately to the patient. Uh, but we're going to see, and we're going to, you know, and at the end of the day, we're going to navigate that, right? We're going to, you know, maybe that means that you have to pre-counsel the patient about what a positive result could mean and what it couldn't mean. And so I, I think we'll adjust to it, but that's an example of the controversy that's happening. But is, should it be controversial that we should give patients access to their data. Now, I think some patients take it too far and say, that's my data. Well, it is your data and you should have access to it. No one disagrees there or shouldn't disagree there. But should the doctor have own access to that data as well, since they're the ones that collected it? They're the ones that documented it? Yeah, they should have it for their purposes. So I think that's where some of the controversy comes. And then also the some of the competitive pressures around you know, some vendors wanting to lock in that data to prevent other vendors from accessing it through an API and maybe undercutting them on some feature set. So I think that's probably the most controversial part. Yeah. Like with any, I mean, I guess it's not good legislation unless, uh, you know, everyone is mad at it, some portion of it. Right. But uh, <laughs> I definitely can see the the vendor side and we will dive into that a little bit, uh, a little bit later, but uh, you know, that whole thing around, you know, sh you know, should this legislation even exist? Did we even need it? And the answer was, yeah, we did. <laughs> in my mind, I look at it and go, well, clearly we spent years trying to do it on ourselves as an industry. We had an opportunity to do it with the, um, you know, meaning for use days and the implementation of EHRs when they first happened. And, and clearly it wasn't a priority. You yep. could argue it's because it's because they were prescriptive on what would needed to be in the EHR. And that wasn't one of them. Right. Um, but, there were so many know. other things to incentivize. I think that was the problem. Uh, you know, I, I, I wrote an article back in the Meaningful Use Day that said, hey, let's throw out all the requirements and just say you have to be interoperable. And let's not be so prescriptive. And guess what? The only way to be interoperable is to adopt an EHR, right? Like, you're not going to be interoperable, you know, without it. But anyway. That fell yeah. on deaf ears. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> so I, I think it's necessary. I just think, you know, uh, you know, like the controversy will find a way through all of this stuff eventually. Cause, uh, um, but the one thing that worries me as a patient, and I hear sometimes from the, from the patients um, on Twitter is, you know, having access to the data is one thing, having meaning out of that access is another, like, am I going to be able to interpret what is being shared with me? Do I even know you know, it says it's supposed to be in a readable format, but what does that mean? Is that a PDF file, right? Because like, as a patient, I go, that, that's readable to me. But in, in some ways, that's not, that's not useful to an API. That's not useful to a, a third-party company who may be wanting to look at the data, like PDF is useless, right? So, you know, is that, is that anywhere in the part of, of, of the info blocking stuff? Yeah, well... That is the challenge is making it useful for a human versus making it useful for a computer. Right. Those are different things. And, you know, Judy from Epic is famous at saying patients don't really care. And she has good data to back that up because they rolled out my chart and no one used it, right? I mean, practically no one used it, but it kind of doesn't matter. That's not the point of this, right? The point is the patients where it is useful and the patients that do want to have access should have access to it. You know, whether you think it's useful for them or not is kind of, you know, it doesn't really matter what you think in that regard, right? It, it matters that, hey, if they they need it and they want it, you should make that access available. And so I think that's what this 
legislation is pushing forward is saying it, you know, like let's make it available to the patients, uh, you know, regardless of the value that it creates. And I think that's okay because we actually saw this with meaningful use as well. You know, a lot of people are like, Oh, meaningful use didn't achieve the value that it should have created from 36 billion. And do I agree? It could be done better. Absolutely. But did it not create any value? No, it, it set the platform for everything that we're experiencing today around AI, around robotic process automation, around all these analytics and clinical decision support that we wouldn't even be able to think about if we hadn't done the EHR implementation in the first place. Oh, I totally agree with you there. I mean, it, it, we could have done more, but I think that's true of anything. Uh, but what it did achieve, it did lay the groundwork, which was what it was meant to do way, way back when. Yeah, and this is going to do that too, right? It's laying the groundwork for access to data. So then we know, oh, what access is useful, what access is not, and entrepreneurs and creative people can build on that. Absolutely. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. Today, we're talking about the new info blocking rules that are coming into effect. We're kind of exploring a little bit about what that means and uh, why it even exists. So, John, let me ask this, um, because I think this is where, you know, the rubber meets the road. What do you think this new rule will have in terms of impact on providers and vendors? Yeah. Well, interestingly, it was delayed, right? Originally, it was supposed to be implemented back in 2020. And for probably pretty good reasons, it got (laughs) delayed with COVID and everything that was happening there to April 1st. What we don't know is what the new administration's view of this is. Are they kind of like, let's push it forward, make it happen April 1st, do or die, right? <laughs> like, or are they gonna push it again? So that could have an impact on the answer to the question you asked around what impact will it have? Because if it's delayed, then they're gonna delay it. <laughs> you know, there's some that are very proactive and have already implemented some of these things, but a lot of people wait to the deadline. So anyway, keep an eye on that. Will April 1st stick or not? But let's say it does stick, right? What impact will it have? I actually think it will enable patients in a really, really great way. Uh, you know, our, our colleague uh, Shahid Shah described it perfectly. What the regulation basically says is if I have a website called hackpatients.com that actually hacks into patient data and sells it on the, on the dark web, and I as a patient say, hey, I want to connect my data to hack you know, hackpatients.com so I can sell my data on the dark web. You have to allow me to do that. Now, is that a good thing? Well, hopefully patients are more educated (laughs) than to go to a website like that, like that literally is planning to abuse your data. And so, you know, there is that concern that patients will use it improperly. But I actually think most patients that want access to their data are quite sophisticated and they have a good understanding of what privacy means. And also interestingly, whenever you talk to a chronic patient who likely is going to pass away in the next year or two, they don't care about privacy. And guess what? That's their right. They can choose to you know, go against that and share all their information if they want. So I think that's one major impact that I'll be watching is will patients use the data appropriately and will they use it on systems that actually safeguard their privacy or not? You know, there is that question out there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, first of all, uh, you know, 
if it is April, which is a big if, you're right. I mean, given everything that's going on, we can never bank on anything with the government these days. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. it, and it would make sense both ways in, in my mind. If they delay it, it makes sense. If they don't delay it, it also makes sense, right? Like, yeah. Because if COVID has shown us anything, the need to share data amongst providers uh, is critical. Uh, and if info blocking can help with that, uh, then you know who wouldn't be for that, right? Because you know, this, despite having had a year of doing this with COVID, there are still a lot of instances that I'm hearing about where it's sneaker net, it's printed off faxes, and you know that's what it, you know that's what the interoperability levels we're at, right? So, uh, so putting that aside for a second, I, I think providers are going to really have to do a quick review of their info sharing and you know of, of all their policies and it's not just with the medical record like there's all these other systems and things that make up a medical record right the lab results um you know images and things that maybe people aren't used to sharing with others very easily um and like you said like you you may get some oddball requests coming at you and how do you handle those and how do you verify that it was the patient that really requested it? And all these kinds of things, I think, are going to have to come under the microscope. So um, I see, foresee a few audits happening internally at many providers. Well, and, you know, interestingly, there's a number of vendors and provider organizations that are trying to figure out how do they educate the patient on, on proper use of their data, right? And, and trying to take a more proactive role not to force them to not use an app that they're you know, trying to use, but just to educate them on the risks associated with that type of sharing so that they can understand it. And I'm sure some people will go too far and too short and they'll scare people when they shouldn't scare them. And that's fine. I mean, that's part of the learning process here. But I think to your point, I think many provider organizations are going to think, oh, my vendor's got it. And I think that is a scary viewpoint because if that's what you're approaching this as, I think come April 1st, if it goes into effect, you're going to be scrambling, right? Because you're going to realize, oh, there's a bunch more I need to do. It's not just my EHR vendor that's going to implement it. And I check off my, my 21st century cures box. Uh, you know, there's some internal stuff that you're going to have to do and you're going to have to deal with uh, if you want to be compliant with this law. So you know, luckily with the delay, I think people, you know, they were starting to wake up back in October when it was about to go into effect. Um, but, you know, I, there will be some that will say, oh, my vendor's got it. And then it's going to hit them in their face. They'll be like, oh, wait, I had to do that. What do you mean? Uh, it's kind of like HIPAA. They're like, yeah, HIPAA will just be implemented by my vendors, right? Well, the risk assessment's not. You got to do that yourself. And then you got to mitigate it. So it's kind of a similar principle here that I think we're going to see once this goes into effect as well. Yeah, that's, and I want to dive into that a little bit, the impact on vendors. I mean, I think in the short term, I mean, I think, I think it's fair to say most vendors know that this is coming. I think the days of if, if this was coming are gone now. I mean, obviously it's coming. So hopefully, uh, oh, I hear a lot of them have been working on this, right? If they weren't um, open or had the APIs there, they're certainly working on them or they're already there. Whether or not they're actually being used or useful, it's a whole different story, but at least the mechanism to make data sharing a little bit easier is there. Um, but they're not responsible, as you're pointing out, John, they're not responsible for the policy of how that's used or where that's used. Right? Yeah. They're just enabling the, the tunnel or the ability for you to do it. Uh, you as an organization still have to figure out where does it apply? Where doesn't it apply? I mean, you know, yep. what happens if you're, you know, what happens if a doctor leaves? Do they get to have access to that data? Right. Like, 
you know, what if that contravenes their employment law, right? Like, you yeah, know, there's all these things. Those yeah. contracts. That's a great point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I think that's going to happen in the short term, but I think in the long term, and you touched on this before, you know, I think the, the gold standard of openness was sort of GPS data and how the government mm-hmm. opened up that level, that information and made it shareable and made it available. And when I look at all the innovation that's happened around having GPS available to us, right? Yep. You know, will that happen with, with this in terms of health data? I think over the long term, it could. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, now that we have the, the laws to say, hey, you have to provide access to third party, especially to developers. I think now there might be a little bit more willingness for people to dive in with some innovation now to say, hey, okay, I, I can now finally get and unlock that, that door that was blocked to me before around the EHR. And now I can apply this algorithm, this technology, this thing to all of that data that's behind this locked box that I could never access before. Yeah, I still think back to Jonathan Bush when he was at Athena Health. So it's a number of years back. But he said the basis of competition should not be around interoperability of health data. And sadly, we're, we're still not there. <laughs> and so hopefully this will push that forward to that vision because it shouldn't be around that. There's plenty of other ways to differentiate yourself as a software vendor. And I, I'm hopeful that you're right that uh, these APIs and access to the data will enable a surge of entrepreneurship that could have been happening and many healthcare organizations would be like, sorry, if it doesn't integrate with our EHR, I can't implement you. And so hopefully it will open up that wave of innovation from entrepreneurs to be able to integrate with EHR vendors and and a lot of other data, like you said, lab data, ERP data, et cetera, right? To be able to implement the systems and innovations that need to come from these entrepreneurial companies. So I think that's interesting. My one fear, though, from the vendor community is that they're going to turn this into another line of business. Uh, so access to the data through these APIs is going to become a, a line of business and a source of business for them. Now, you know, the argument is, is, a, is an interesting one, right? Because they are doing some work, maintaining APIs, maintaining the data, et cetera. There's, there's work involved in that. And so they should be compensated in some way. But if they turn it into a business, right, then that will actually stymie the innovation of entrepreneurs because they're essentially taxing any sort of innovation around access to health data that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs can't afford to pay. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And if the provider organizations get behind the vendor and say, it's fine to charge that, or if they kick back and say, no, we need access and you better charge a fair fee. Right. Like, yeah, because you're, again, you hit the nail on the head there, John, because there's nothing there that says you can't charge. Um, you know, it just says you can't actively block it. Now, I, I would assume that it, there might be a case to be made where if it's an exceedingly outrageous charge, and it's not reasonable, that, that is effectively info blocking. But that would require someone to test the law in that way. And I don't know if a small vendor especially is going to want to do that, right? Well, and the law has some restrictions on how much you can charge for APIs. So it does, you know, but it, it, interestingly, it's very similar to the ROI model where there was restrictions on how much you could charge for a copy of your paper. So I think we're going to go through a similar uh, kind of falling out and understanding. But what's interesting in, in paper, it was harder to scale, right? Like, right. okay, sure, you can copy 60 pages and put it in whatever, like, 
but here you could do a million transactions in a day. I mean, we just saw direct trust pass 2 million direct messaging or 2 billion, sorry, 2 billion with a B transactions since their start and a billion just in the last 18 months. Now imagine that as a business model, that would not be good for any, <laughs> any healthcare organization or startup company. If you have to charge, even if you're charging a fraction of a cent, we've seen how successful Google's doing it, charging fractions of cents for clicks and they do pretty well. Huh? <laughs> but I can say, I can say, you know, because we, we, we both do work with um, healthcare startups and we, we obviously talk to a lot of them when we are traveling <laughs> uh, to conferences and things you know, access to that data that's locked away. And I don't want to just pick on EHRs, but, you know, lab systems and other systems like that has been a big barrier to them gaining success or a foothold in healthcare. Because as soon as they go, oh, you I have this amazing technology and it can really help. The, the next question is great. Oh, you need access to my EHR. Oh, wait, that's going to be like 19 months uh, to get that done. And I have to prioritize you amongst all the other things I'm doing. And that's the, the info blocking rule doesn't fix that. It doesn't fix the prioritization, right? So I do worry like you, but but at least I, I hope it gives entrepreneurs hope to say, okay, at least there's a door now where before there was nothing. There was no even doorway into that data. Sometimes the conversation goes the other way. Do you integrate with my EHR? No. Okay. Then we don't even have any more conversation, which true. is kind of sad, you know, you know, that so much of the innovation and potential is built into that, but it's kind of the reality for a lot of organizations so, yeah, I agree. I think it is, you know, does this solve all information blocking and access to data? Definitely not. But is it a step in the right direction? I think it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, above all, I would just, it is, a, you know, as you said at the top, it's a thousand pages long, <laughs> the Cures <laughs> Act. It's, uh, it doesn't make, it is not even, you know, heavy, it's heavy reading. <laughs> um, but there have been some pretty good interpretations of the info blocking rule that have been published. The American Medical Association's got a really good one. The American Hospital Association's got a pretty good one about what info blocking means to providers. And you know, I would definitely encourage any listener to go out and read some of these materials that are out there to get, get you know, familiarize yourself with some of the potential changes you might have to make internally uh, to accommodate this new, uh, this new legislation. Yeah. Well, it's the future. So, you know, I think we have to get on board with sharing somehow because it's the right thing to do for patients. So I'm hopeful that the new Biden administration will continue those efforts. You know, it's one of the only bipartisan things out there is that sharing data with the patients is the right thing to do. So hopefully that continues. Listen, thanks to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. Find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hunk, my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lynn. Thanks for listening and have a great week.